Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. So give your servant a discerning mind so he can make judicial decisions for this great nation of yours. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. Solomon's father, David, is dead, and he's on the eve of inheriting the throne. A young man with no experience in governing God's chosen people, this great nation. God asks him to name what he wants, and Solomon begins his prayer with thanks for making him king and humbles himself before his Lord, wondering how he's going to manage this people. He asks for wisdom and an understanding mind to discern between good and evil. What would I ask for, I wonder? Riches, health, a long life? Perhaps Solomon was wiser than his genius. will eventually bring the riches and the health I would want. Simple things like praying instead of acting without thinking, weighing decisions carefully and deliberately, the old-fashioned counting to ten. God gives Solomon what he asks for and more. He also gives him all that he doesn't ask for. Solomon goes on to be world-renowned, a fair judge and ruler, wealthy beyond compare. He enjoys a long and fruitful life and wasn't altogether faithful to his God. Herein we see the contrast. God remained faithful to him. I think of our sovereign, the Queen, her 60 years of uninterrupted service to her people around the world. It couldn't have been an easy job for a young girl to take on, but as defender of the faith and head of the Church of England, I feel she too, in her close walk with God, has been granted the wisdom Solomon requested, discernment to make judicial decisions for this great nation. And she also received all the unasked for riches. God is always there. Am I? Good afternoon and good evening. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I'm going to be talking about my life as a homeschooler with my blue-eyed cowboy and our four children. The children are all grown now, but we all know, once a homeschooler, always a homeschooler. And I still have plenty of up-to-date tales about the family that derive directly from their exposure during their formative years to our stellar methods of parenting. My cowboy and I are living alone together in merry old England for the moment, getting used to this thing called empty nest and stumbling upon God in the most ordinariness of our lives, which according to most of those who know us is not that ordinary at all. We're selling a property here in London and dealing with various areas of bureaucracy that are causing our heads to spin. So Solomon's request in my opening verse to have a discerning mind in order to make good decisions is apropos. Each week, I invite someone to join me, and we talk about the delights and insights of mother or fatherhood. Whether they're homeschoolers or not, we put the world to rights on the issues of child rearing. I think you'll find our chats will always speak straight to the heart of parents who put children above their highest joy. And today, Nancy Sassry Vogel of Family on Bikes Renown is joining me to talk about the pleasures of pedaling and how it changed her life and the lives of those who live with her. So stay tuned. 
first, let's get caught up on what's happening here. I'll talk about Dorts on the High Seas, two visits to establishments that were sort of kind of bucket list, a rota, a play, and how going back to school after the summer holes wasn't always easy. It's time for PG tips again. I feel I need a stronger pick-me-up this afternoon, and digestives are just heavenly when dunked in the brew for a small minute. I wish you were here at the tree tree, no, not the tree trolley, but the tea trolley with me, but we can pretend, can't we? We had lunch in the Palace Gardens this week. Yes, we visited Buckingham Palace to take advantage of the exhibition for the 60th anniversary of our Queen's coronation. My blue-eyed cowboy and I walked around wide-eyed with astonishment at the fabulously appointed staterooms designed by the architect John Nash. After ascending the magnificent main staircase, we were rendered breathless by the high domed ceilings, gold inlay, chandeliers by the dozen, silk hangings, artwork, furniture, hidden doorways, French windows that opened onto balconies overlooking the gardens and the lake, and the very tasteful, graceful glimpse into the life of our royal family. The whole excursion was extremely well organised. Not once did we feel crammed or crushed as we did when we visited the Vatican. There were controlled entrance times and the free audio guide encouraged us to walk into each new room to the middle and then look around at particular objects. This kept the flow going. No bottlenecks at all and no feeling of being swept along by a tide of humanity. Oh, it was glorious. And as I walked through the white drawing room with the sunlight dancing on the deep carpets and across the furniture, I felt as I do when my house is sparkling and clean and I walk through it feeling at peace and refreshed. I know, to the palace born, that's me all over. We had our tickets validated for a year's free re-entry and I think we'll be back and include a tour of the news next time. And after we'd finished, we went into the garden and there was a tasteful cafe with people directing us to the next available cashier. We had coffees and found a table overlooking the grounds and ate our picnic of baguettes and cheese. Oops, cheapskates. Mm, The coffee was good. Then we walked around the lawns and the lake. Only parts were manicured, not at all like Hampton Court. Most of it was tangled and natural. Everywhere they were so calm, not at all rushed or harried. In the distance we could hear the din of London traffic and some tall office buildings overlooked the walls, but for the most part I felt lost in an oasis. I imagine, busy as the Queen's life is, everything is done in a calm, unrushed way, which of course set the tone for our visit. We were one among thousands that day that felt alone, if that's imaginable. There is so much more joy in taking everything gently. No panic attacks, no stress. A lesson can be taken from the palace on time management to ensure we're not caught in a frenzy of lateness. What a fabulous day. I mentally checked Buckhouse off my want-to-do list. And since Dort's left a month ago now it is, I try to find us something new to do at the weekends to get us away from our computers. We're getting as bad as our children. My Texan won't go anywhere without his mobile device. And I heard him say, I love my phone the other day when I chided him for playing a game on it while he was supposed to be talking to me. A couple of weekends ago, I was thinking of somewhere not too far away to go. And the Battersea dogs and now cats home sprung to mind. It was on my want to do list and I remarked every time we passed it on the train on our way to Victoria to whoever was traveling with me, remind me we have to go there one day. And that one day finally came. 
When I was a child, we lived in the vicinity of the home. It was probably a bus journey away, and I always wanted to go and look at the waifs and strays. My parents wouldn't take me. The only dogs they were interested in were bought from reputable kennels and were purebreds with fancy registered names like Lady Duke of Kingston Charles, denoting his dame siren kennel. Our first cavalier was given the call name Carl, German for Charles. He was a cantankerous little spaniel, but that's another story. When Dortz heard where we were going, she texted from her phone in Norway, You're going without me? When we arrived, we paid to enter through double security gates, security at a dog and cat's home. The first set of gates we passed had to clang shut behind us before the second set could be opened. Once inside, we were ushered up the ramps to the top floor to work our way down the three levels. I thought, good, lots of lovely dogs to see. As we entered the areas where the dogs were kept, we read signs that cautioned us not to put our fingers through the bars or stare at the dogs as they would feel threatened. The dogs were in roomy pens with large beds and plenty of blankets, toys, food and water. They really couldn't care less about the trail of visitors, prospective owners, passing through. Of the hundred dogs we saw, only about half a dozen were labs or collies. The rest were various combinations of Staffordshire bull terriers. Signs abounded extolling their many virtues alongside their pictures. Eva is a softy. Vera is gentle. Max is a family dog. Bruiser is a pushover. Lily is affectionate. Rosie is faithful. King just loves to be cuddled. All of them in some endearing pose designed to melt hearts. Not mine. These were hardly adjectives I would use for this breed, but then I've never owned one. Pitbulls, they're off my radar. Give me a soft and fuzzy mutt any day. I was disappointed, to say the least. Where were all the raucous shepherd lab mixes, the border collies, the ducks and corgi combos, the shih tzus, the poodles, the labradoodles? The ex-owners of these Staffordshire bull terriers were exes for a reason. We did the three levels, my enthusiasm diminishing with each descent. Next were the cats. They were housed in a separate building and equally as fancy. There was no way we could get anywhere near the cats. Their pens were bigger than our ensuite bathroom in the flat, and they were all asleep in their elevated living apartments over by the window so they could watch the passing of the cars below when they deigned to open them. No, no kittens, no excited yelpings and licking. No head scratchings, no meowing, no satisfaction. I crossed the item off my want-to-do list and thought I'd waited too long. I should have visited the old Battersea Dogs home, the one I'd heard about when I was ten. Well, on the way home from that deflating excursion, we decided to go to Brixton Market. But no one in Battersea could tell us how to get there on bus or foot. Not that we'd want to walk along the main road filled with lorries, buses and exhaust fumes anyway. In the end, we back we went back into Victoria and then out again to Brixton. Here, the market stalls are set up underneath the railway bridge, so the thunder of trains passing overhead accompanied the ethnic music blaring from the numerous stalls. We bought fish, sea bass. Big question mark here. But the stall was well iced and very busy and... I'm still alive and kicking, and the fish actually was delicious. Then we looked at smoked eel heads that looked like snake heads, live snails the size of baseballs, and all kinds of produce I didn't have a clue about. Butcher shops with chickens and rabbits hanging up and odd cuts of meat and lung. The place was a bustle of activity and very colourful and helped balance the blah visit to the dog's home. I have a few more to see things on my list, a couple of parks, a manor house or two, and of course a trip to Dover to see Dortz and her ship. 
We also went to see a play, One Man, Two Governors, at the Theatre Royal in Haymarket. We sat up in the gallery, and I hadn't realised that these were bench seats, but they had cushions, thank goodness, but no armrests. At least we were in the front row. The play was very funny, and it had a couple of TV personalities in it, which does absolutely nothing for me since I don't watch TV. The lead kept bringing people up from the audience and ad-libbing about their names and jobs and what they were needed to do to help them out on the stage. Hilarious. Slapstick is not my cup of tea, but this was clever. Even the fire extinguisher episode after setting the table alight had me laughing. Well, looks like I have got to go on a break, so off you go. Get yourselves another cup of tea, and I will be back with my guest in just a moment. handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling. That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central, Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward with tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest this week is Nancy Sathry Vogel, who has pedaled more miles in four years than a lot of people fly in a lifetime. Nancy, a veteran teacher, woke up one day and realized life was too short to spend it all with other people's children. She and her husband decided to invest time in their twin boys, so they quit their jobs, jumped on the homeschooling bandwagon, climbed on their bikes, and spent the next four years pursuing their passions and following their dreams. First, they cycled through America and Mexico before tackling the Pan-American Highway from Alaska to Argentina, more than 17,000 miles in 1,018 days. That's three years in a bike saddle, folks. Nancy is the author of Changing Gears, A Family Odyssey to the End of the World, 20 Miles Per Cookie, Bicycle Touring with Children, 9,000 Miles of Kid-Powered Adventures, and What Were We Thinking? co-penned with her husband, John. She also loves beadwork and has picked and carried with her thousands of beads packed in her panniers. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you. Can you hear me all right? I'm hearing you okay. 
All right, there must be a little bit of a delay. Well, Nancy, well, very welcome to my show. And um, the first thing I want to ask you is, you've brought a whole new meaning to those simple words. Grab your helmets, kids, we're going for a bike ride. Tell us why you and your husband decided to bow out of the traditional classroom and take your sons on a bike ride to end all bike rides. That's a good question. Uh, and I wish I knew the answer, really. My husband and I had, we met while bike touring. That's how we had had gotten to know each other. We spent a year cycling around in India um, and Pakistan, that area. And so we always knew that if we were going to take another big trip, you know, like take a year off from work, that it would be on bikes. We we always knew that. Um and so then when we made the decision to go ahead and do it, there was just a, a lot of things going on and made the decision that we wanted time with our own kids. Mm-hmm. And so we went. And they're just we never questioned the idea of should we do it on bikes or should we do it some other way. That mm-hmm. wasn't really an issue for us. Yeah. And so prior to that, um, had were your twins riding bikes? I mean, was that a thing that you did as a family at weekends and during school holidays and that? We, like I said, before we had the kids, my husband and I did a lot of biking, a lot of touring. We cycled, Mm -hmm. oh gosh, uh, we cycled probably around 10 different countries or so. So we had done a lot of bike touring before we had the kids. Once we had the kids, um, I basically stopped biking. I wanted to be with my kids. I... uh, it just so we kind of just stopped. We did buy them some little kids bikes when they were what, mm-hmm. four or five or some such thing, but really, no, the biking wasn't something that we did a lot of as a family. We sure we would take off and go down to the park and stuff, but mm-hmm. it wasn't that big of a deal until that year. They were the kids were second grade and decided that we were going to take their third grade year off. And biking was it. And so we took off on the bikes. So did you um, have to do some kind of um, pacing? I'm sure this is a silly question. (laughs) I mean, obviously, you couldn't go out and on your first day with the boys ride all day. Or did you? Well, there's certainly an element of of having to break in slowly. You, You break in when you're on the bike. So we didn't do, we did some training. Like we made the decision Late. It was a last-minute decision that we were going to go. It was we made the decision in April and we took off in June. So between April and June, we were trying to go out on weekend rides and kind of build up on training. But for the most part, no, that training really did come once we were on the road, and we did it wrong. <laughs> it seems like we always do things wrong. But um, my husband just had this idea of you know, he used to ride when he toured by himself before I entered the picture. He used to ride 100, 130-mile days all the time. And so he had this attitude that we had to go at least 50 miles a day or it wasn't even worth getting on the bikes. And so the first couple of weeks, he was he was really adamant that we needed to average at least 50 miles a day, and we were going long distances, long, long days, um, not taking many days off, and after a couple of weeks of that, there was one day when the kids were, were riding along, and they're like, I'm just so tired, I'm so tired. And we yeah. thought they were kind of just, ah, you know, they're just being kids. But we pulled into a park, and instead of going to the playground, they climbed up on our laps and fell asleep. 
And that was kind of that moment where we realized that we had been pushing too hard and we backed off. Um, but, yeah, you just get in, in shape on the road. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you've written, as I said in my introduction, several books. So if people really want to find out in detail, you know, day-by-day account of your bike rides and, you know, riding with children and trying touring before you got married, well, before you had children anyway, um, they can go and do that. What I want to talk to you um, a little bit today about is when you did that long ride from Alaska to Argentina, changes must have happened. Your perspective on life must have changed. Can you talk a little bit about that? I think... So many changes happened. You realize you realize that life is very short, and and mm. it and I think when you're out there and you're you're part of Mother Nature's world, and I likened it, we were just another part of the food chain, and you realize how interconnected everything is, but you also realize how fleeting it all is, mm. and so you you realize that you in order to live life to the fullest, you have to seize the day, you know, and I know that that's trite and I know that it's all cliche, but all of those cliches really are true, that it's all about just making memories and living for today and and taking advantage of every moment that we have here because things can change so rapidly. Mm. So that now, was, think, that was a, a, a biggie. So do you think part of mm-hmm. that might have been because you were um, on your bikes and you were moving forward? all the time you weren't going to be going back you were just moving (laughs) you were just going forward so everything you were seeing at that moment that was it you had to appreciate it then and there I think that's a a lot of it a lot of it was the idea of you know this wasn't it wasn't an option to go back we knew that Mm -hmm. okay once we left this particular place then realistically we probably wouldn't be back there and that's Mm -hmm. huge uh, but the other big thing that I realized was that it it wasn't about the travel. Uh, and I've traveled my whole life, and I was always very passionate, and I was so driven to travel. And travel was, I just, I, I my, my whole life was geared toward, I want to go travel, I want to go travel, I want to go travel. And on our bike trip, um, going between Alaska and Argentina, I really had a big epiphany realizing that it, it's not about the travel. It's as you just pointed out, when you're traveling, you tend to live in the moment because you know that you can't go back. Mm-hmm. And that is what I loved about the travel. I loved about just that that idea of being so present, being right here, right now. And the travel had always done that for me, but the epiphany then was that it wasn't about the travel, it was about a mindset. It was about making a decision to take advantage of right here, right now, uh, or not. And too mm-hmm. often when we're at home, we get into this rut, we're on the hamster wheel, and we're not realizing that, you know what, this is my choice to be right here, right now. And if I don't like this, or if it's not meeting my needs, then I can make the shoot, make the decision to go somewhere else and do something else. Mm. And you talk about a box you talk about thinking you know I know we do a lot of you know thinking outside the box living outside the box but you know that box that box doesn't have to be a physical thing it could be something as you said a state of mind you know 
Well, and it's funny because I had, toward the end of our journey, I realized that the bike touring, the the traveling for me, the traveling on the bike had become my nine to five. Mm. It was routine. It was comfortable. It was predictable. And sure, there was a lot of unpredictability in there. We didn't know what the winds were going to be like. We were in new territory. So there was a lot of unpredictability. But that was all very comfortable for us. By the time we arrived at the southern tip of South America, we could do this bike touring stuff with our eyes closed. Like we, mm-hmm. we knew what we were doing. We were comfortable. We had our routine. And that had become my nine to five. So just as you say, yeah, the box doesn't have to be a physical house with four walls around you. That box is whatever it is that has become comfortable, routine, um, how else do we say it? Something that is is just we're kind of on autopilot. And whether mm-hmm. that is going to our job or getting up on our on riding our bike across Argentina Whatever whatever that routine is that we're on autopilot as opposed to consciously, deliberately making active choices, that's our box. Mm-hmm. Now, a little bit um, before that, you were saying that for you, travel was a way to get into the here and now. You know, it, it kind of... It took you there. It took you to. It helped you become present. And during your bike ride, you discovered that it wasn't the traveling at all. It was. It was you, your mindset that could, you know, make you be in the here and now, wherever you were. And so, um, when you when you got when you when you reached that decision, was it a dis- realization? Not really a decision. Was it difficult? Was it? Was it difficult for you to realize that? And you could still travel and enjoy travel, but for you, I think you you said, "No, I'm tired now of traveling. I want to I want to discover all of this right here." Right there, there was a process involved with that. Mm-hmm. When we first, I was toward the end of our journey. I was really wanting to go back home, and I I was tired of the travel, and I I, I really wanted to. I I just had this desire to come back to Idaho and get a small house and just curl up by a wood stove and read a good book and and I couldn't understand that. I could not understand that desire because I really never saw that one coming. Mm. So we finished our trip and we came back to Boise and I I had this internal struggle going on where I was kind of for so long, my identity had been as a traveler, and so am I still a traveler because I don't want to travel anymore? Mm-hmm. I I couldn't accept, uh, you know, here I had worked so hard to make this life come true of gallivanting around the world, and and now I don't want that anymore, but everybody else would have wanted that. Like, I, you know, people looked at me, and my life was exotic and all of that, and, and I didn't want it, and I, and, and, and I couldn't figure that out. And, yeah, it was this huge epiphany that day when I realized that it's okay to jump out of the box. Like, it was okay for me to, you know, leave my teaching career and jump on the bikes and go and ride my bike to the end of the world. I mean, with my children, and that's about as far out of the box as you can get. Hmm. But Nancy, we have to go on a really equally, short break. Okay. And we'll be back. Yeah, we'll continue in just a moment. Okay. 
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. I'm talking to Nancy Sathrivogel of Family on Bikes fame, and um, we're talking about while she was traveling during the last stages of the um, three-year bike ride from Alaska to Argentina, how um, all of a sudden she wanted to go home, go home and settle down, and was wondering whether or not um, it was an equally as valid a life, she was equally as valid as a person when she wasn't traveling. And Nancy, I think that was um, quite a um, sort of internal conversation that you were having with yourself. So um, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, it was it was really, uh, there were a couple of months in there where I was really, really, really struggling with that whole idea. Who am I? If I'm not traveling, mm. who am I? Mm. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I realized at that moment, a couple of months after, that it was okay to go out of the box, to jump out of the box and to go and ride your bike around the world and to, to leave your job and leave everything that society expects of you. That's okay. But the important thing that I realized at that, that particular moment was that it's okay to jump back in the box mm-hmm. if you want to. Mm-hmm. So it's... It, it's all okay. So if I wanted to jump back into my teaching career and if I wanted to jump back into just normal American life, I could do that too. So I could leave it and I could come back. And I think that's a very important distinction to understand that it, it really is for if you want to pursue your passion and follow your dream wherever it is, then you need to allow yourself and give yourself permission to do that. So if you're very happy in whatever your job is or whatever your situation is, and that's truly fulfilling to you, then there's no reason to go do some of these other things. I mean, I I, I would encourage anybody to go jump on a bike and ride to the end of the world, but I also understand that a lot of people don't have that desire, and it's perfectly okay to have your little garden and be growing tomatoes, and, and the excitement and the fulfillment that comes from that is mm. just as great as the excitement mm. and fulfillment that came from riding our bikes 
from one end of the world to the other. Mm. So, Nancy, um, you know, you're on the road for three years with your husband and your two boys, and you'd already been out for a year with them prior to that. Um, so this, this soul searching that you did wasn't just you because you had three other people with you. I'm sure you brainstormed and discussed and talked with each other. And it wasn't just Nancy saying, I want to go home. How did that work? Yeah, I think we were really torn. My husband really didn't want to stop. He, He definitely wanted to continue. He was like, yeah, we could fly over to Africa, we could fly to Europe, we could you know, go to Asia, Australia, whatever, we could continue on. He really wanted to continue on. But we both felt, both my husband and I felt that for our sons, it was time to stop. Mm-hmm. They, we, our, our philosophy as parents was to give our sons as many opportunities as we could. We lived overseas as expats when they were little. We spent four years traveling on the bicycles. What we had not given them was a chance to be part of a greater community, to put down roots, uh, be part of of clubs, and do some of those normal childhood things that most kids do. And so we made the decision together that for our sons coming back to Idaho, would be the best thing for them. Uh, here they're involved with a robotics club. And again, this robotics club is fabulous. It's wonderful. They're learning how to build robots, and they're learning so much from that. And that is something that they couldn't have done while we were traveling. Now, they had fabulous experiences while we were traveling, but the experiences here are very different. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that one is better than another. I think we have different seasons in our life, and we have moved into a different season where we're here and and we're allowing our sons to put down roots and do some of the more normal teen stuff. And my husband was both in agreement on that. So Nancy, I've got this feeling listening to you here and what you said about your husband, that you've got yourself about four years and then (laughs) you're going to have to get on your bike again with your husband and go somewhere. I uh, Well, and and that is definitely an option. We have definitely Mm -hmm. talked about that, that, you know, perhaps once the kids are, are adults, then we may very well get back on our bikes and, and continue bike touring. And that's okay. I'm mm-hmm. I'm open to that possibility. I don't have any problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, for right now, I am loving being right here, and we'll make that decision when the day comes. Yeah. Well, um, both you and your husband are passionate about education. So what was it like homeschooling for four years? Right. I'm I'm actually writing a book and I'm calling the book Road Schooling. I'm not sure what the official term for this is. It was absolutely incredible because our kids just picked things up. It Mm -hmm. was like I I've likened it to the collective knowledge of an area just passed into their brains as though it's osmosis. It was phenomenal how that happened. You know, I'd see something and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. And they're like, yeah, mom, I know. And mm-hmm. and they just, as we would go through these different cultures, different, you know, the language was the same once we crossed into Mexico, uh, but just different foods, different styles of dress, all these different traditions. And they just fell into them like it was no big deal. And I guess that's how kids are. 
They just mm-hmm. accept it. And when we were in Ecuador and stumbled into a huge carnival celebration, they just took it completely in stride and went right out there with all the other kids. And and so it was really neat to see them be able to participate in these wonderful, rich cultural traditions, and yet for them, they didn't even realize that they were learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were then able to tap into that and use that as the basis of their education. So if you will ask, if you ask our kids what they learned on our trip, what they will tell you is that they learned math, because the math right. was the only thing that we did, like with a book where we actually sat down and and worked mm-hmm. through a math curriculum. Everything mm-hmm. else just came from this journey, and so they think they didn't learn anything. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the that's the best way to learn, isn't it? Oh, it's it's incredible. Sure, I mean, learn because it's there, and you want to, and you don't even realize that you're that you're learning, and that's yeah. I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah. So when they came back, and they now they're in traditional school now, right? They they're in school half time. We are still officially homeschoolers. Okay. Um, but they, they have chosen to take some classes through our local school district. Mm-hmm. And it's been so amazing to watch them because this love of learning that they developed it has continued. And we, we have allowed them to choose. They can choose to take classes or not. Mm-hmm. And so they have opted for taking advanced math and science classes. And then they've just now started two days ago uh, an electronics class. Mm-hmm. And it's just been fun to see them so excited about school. You hear so many people complaining about school, but my boys love it. But I think a lot of that has to do with the idea that this is what they have chosen to do, and they are yeah. they are pursuing their passion. They're both very interested in robots and science and math and technology, and and so they are loving taking these classes because they're just feeding right into their passions. And so they're getting that from your husband because you're an artist. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, my oh, husband so, is, a, yeah. is a, a math, yeah. science, and computer teacher. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your beadwork and collecting beads while you were traveling. Oh, gosh. I could talk forever about that one. I've been a bead artist. I started beading back in the late 80s. I was living mm-hmm. on the Navajo Reservation, and I was fascinated by the beadwork, and so mm-hmm. I learned how to do it, and then as we traveled around, I, I just happened to be in some places where I was had access to amazing beads, and so I started making more and more, and beadwork became more a part of my, my life, and every time we traveled, I would always go seeking out local beads from the area, do some research before we went to find out what kind of beads were there, and then I would go and look for them, and so that has been that has been a big part of me, and it's funny that you brought this up because I'm in the middle of it right now. I stumbled on, across some beads from the late 1800s in New York City oh. this summer. Um, they're mourning beads from the Victorian times, and they they're the raw product. They were never made into jewelry, and mm. I stumbled upon these things. So I've been doing all this research lately, trying to figure out about these beads and about the that that whole time with the the, the culture and the the uh, the 
the custom of mourning and what the jewelry looked like. And so I've been contacting experts and talking with people about this. So, and I'm in the middle of doing that right now. So it's funny that you brought that up about this, this beads and how anything can just spark that imagination yeah. and you just go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, so that's interesting that your um, children are in school, your boys are in school half time and, and what they're doing is their choice. I think that's, that's very important for children because you know if if they're in a classroom they don't really want to be there and they see so many things that they want to be doing or can think of that they want to be doing it makes the learning very um tiresome whereas i think you've you've you're seeing that your boys are thoroughly enjoying what they're doing because of the choices that they're having um i want to one of the one of your books the title actually piqued my interest 20 miles per cookie and it made me think because i always think how do people eat when they're traveling through all these different countries and they don't really have a kitchen and a kitchen sink i mean what do you do how did you eat food was a a big issue uh in the northern part we did have a little tiny stove. I had a little camp stove with me. So in the northern part of the Americas, I cooked most meals. And then once we got down into, like, southern Mexico, we, we stopped at this. Normally, we didn't go to restaurants at all because they were expensive. And in southern Mexico, we, for some reason, stopped at this restaurant, and all four of us ate this enormous meal for pennies. I don't remember what it was, but I thought, you know what, I can't even cook a meal for that. And so at that point, we started just going to restaurants all the way through um, down, and then we started cooking again, like down in Argentina. But really, it was just relying on local food, and it, there were times when it was difficult. The hard part was finding food, like, out on the road. If we were going to be going 50 miles in between towns, we would have to carry snacks and stuff for on the road, and sometimes those snacks were hard to find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've got a little bit of time before we go on our next break and on our next break just to get you prepared and it's only going to be for about five or six minutes I want to talk about what you and Jennifer Miller do because I talked to Jennifer on this show as well and she's another intrepid traveler that there's no stopping her she just keeps going and going and going um, and the books that you've written did you write them I mean, were they in your head on the way? I've only got 30 seconds here, so I guess it's just a yes or no. I mean, how did you do that? To write the books? Yeah. Um, I I had journals. I know I had always kept oh. a diary of our travels, and so then I was able to take that as mm-hmm. the basis and, okay. and go okay. go from that. Okay. All right. Well, we're going on a short break. I'm talking to Nancy uh, Jaffrey Vogel, and um, we're going to be continuing our conversation in just a minute. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. We often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on toginet.com. 
Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Are you happy with your life? Satisfied with the direction you're taking? More importantly, are you content with the results you're seeing? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join host Brian K. Wright as he talks to experts in many areas relating to life success, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Each week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. For more on Brian and the show, check out his website, briankwright.com. Each week is a dose of inspiration. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. Success Profiles Radio is a show that will clearly demonstrate the principle, if I can do it, you can do it. So don't miss this opportunity to take control of your life and your results. Success Profiles Radio with Brian K. Wright. Mondays at 5 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, Nancy, you write that living your dream can happen anywhere and that to, you can find the exotic in the mundane. And I know that you have um, a workshop that you and Jennifer Miller have organized and, and run online. And could you, could you tell my listeners who want to get the most out of their lives where they can go to kind of tap into what you've been talking about today? Absolutely. Jennifer and I do in the program. It's at dreamreboot.com, dreamreboot.com. And we have a program. We have two different programs, but right now we're focusing on one called Momentum, and it's a long-term support. We've been hearing from so many people who had this dream. They want to do whatever it is, and they just weren't sure how to get there. They needed some hand-holding. They wanted to surround themselves by a group of like-minded individuals that were all striving toward making this dream happen. And so Jen and I run this group that we send out emails every week with a different challenge, a different thing to think about. Uh, We're just moving into this month in September will be about just money, looking at how much money do you have, how much money do you need realistically, uh, getting a real clear picture on the financial side of the dream, whatever the dream is. Mm-hmm. And so each month we focus on a different aspect of making that dream life happen, whatever that dream life is for you. Mm-hmm. And separating between the realistic and the unrealistic and trying to get maybe somebody's dream that's 
I don't, I don't like to say unrealistic or too big because, you know, nothing's too big, but something doable. Well, I think, I think we all know what's doable for us. We know that perhaps we will, ne- we will never have the body that's going to be a world-class racer. And that doesn't become a dream for us. For some people, that is a dream. And for others, we know that we will never get there, and that's not really a dream. So, but I think the important thing is to, it's a lot of the small details that people get bogged down in. People say, oh, I can't afford it. And then they say that because they don't have a realistic picture of exactly what it would cost or, or perhaps how to, how to re, refinagle things to make that happen. Those are the kinds of things that we work on, uh, really trying to get people to realize that a big dream is okay. And yes, you can have a big dream. If riding your bike from Alaska to Argentina isn't a big dream, I don't know what one is. Uh, And and yet it's very doable when you break it down step by step. When we were riding, I mean, 17,000 miles, even now I look back at that and I think that's enormous. It's too vast. I can't comprehend 17,000 miles on a bike. But I can comprehend 30 or 40 or 50 miles on a bike. And really, that's all 17,000 miles is. It's just we go out for a little bike ride today of 30, 40, 50 miles. Tomorrow we go for another one. And as long as we do that on a regular basis, the big picture takes care of itself. So I think what happens is people tend to get lost in the big picture and they forget that it's all about a whole bunch of tiny little steps. Mm -hmm. It's like people wanting to write a book and they go, oh, I could never write a book. But if you sit down and write so many words every single day after a certain amount of time, it builds into that book. So you're right. Exactly. In fact, one of the women in, in this momentum group right now that is her goal is to write a book and mm. and so yeah she is she has set this this pace she's going to write three pages a day and mm-hmm. she's just going to do it religiously and consistently and she knows mm. that she'll get this book finished if she does that yeah so. yeah well nancy thank you so much for talking to me today and um i'm going to put your link to your dreamreboot.com on my Toginet page and on my web page. Um, I've been talking to Nancy Sathry-Vogel, who has brought new meaning to those words. Come on, kids, put your helmets on. We're going on a bike ride. Nancy told us how her epic journey with her family from Alaska to Argentina changed her life and why she's back in Boise, Idaho, putting down roots, enjoying life at home and living a different kind of adventure. And we talked about um, how it's all right to stay where you are as long as you're doing what you want to do. Nancy's the author of several books, including Changing Gears, and it's about their 17,000-mile bike ride. I can hardly say that. It's such a long way. On the Pan American Highway, and she writes a blog at www.familyonbikes.org. And it's a fairly sure bet that you'll find her now either on her computer or creating fantastical pieces with the beads she's collected all over the world. Thank you so much, Nancy, for joining me this week, and I wish you all the best and you have a safe and wonderful Labor Day weekend. Thank you, and you too. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, last weekend, and I'm kind of 
thinking about that 17,000 miles, I can't imagine that. And that's just fantastic. Took three years. And what a fabulous, fabulous story that Nancy's just told us. Um, We had a bank holiday weekend last week. And of course, our English weather behaved predictably. It poured with rain all over the weekend. And then on Tuesday afternoon, the sun came out and we're enjoying a lovely warm spell again. And I remarked to my cowboy two days ago while we were lunching in the palace grounds, enjoying relentless blue skies and sunshine. This is glorious and such a typical bank holiday weather. And judging by the skies again, it looks as though the weekend is looming. And all the children are returning to school next week here in England. I think in America they started this week. And I'll hear the familiar shouts and laughter coming from the little playgrounds that are around our neighbourhood. I walk past a nursery school each day on my way to the park and look over at the empty buildings and the vacant playground. And um, I know that next week I'm going to see little children running around in there again. And I wonder how many children are dreading their return to school. They've only been off six weeks, but it is their long holiday. Not long at all compared to our three months off in America. And the summer holidays have just flown by here in England. I didn't even get to see my nephews once. They were very busy taking trips with both parents and various camps. As homeschoolers, we eased into our new school year. September for me is always a month of new beginnings, and I take the children off to Office Depot to load up on necessary items like new pencils and books and staplers and scissors, markers, whiteboards, three ring binders, um, new books to shelve. And there's something about all that new stationery, all those new supplies that got us in the mood to start afresh with heightened motivation. And I draw up schedules and I post them in the school supply cupboards and then I'd never look at them again. For me, just knowing that I can bring order into a day if needs be was enough. At the end of each school year, my mind would immediately flip forward and I think, well, there's always next year, especially if I felt that we hadn't covered as much as I'd hoped. That feeling of renewal kept me going year after year. What keeps you going? I never dwelled on what I hadn't accomplished with the children. Instead, I focused on all the potential the new academic year would bring. And I must admit, I was pretty stuck in the academic school year. The children and I were involved in activities that naturally followed the traditional school openings and closures. And for some of the time, that meant it influenced us too. And if we didn't allow it to, we'd go mad trying to maintain opposing schedules. It's next to impossible to ignore the school year, followed by every other child on the block. So we exercised a take it or leave it attitude. One of the beauties of homeschooling lies in its consistency. Same teacher, same children, same books. So usually during the first week after Labor Day, we'd pack up and go on holiday. The rates had dropped and the crowds had dissipated and it was an excellent excuse to put off school for a bit longer. See, I was procrastinating. Breaking the routine of summer was always difficult for me, but once I disciplined myself to start, I was away. But first, I did insist on that trip to the beach and refreshed upon our return from our holiday in Galveston, the books would come out and we would set a tone for the year by looking through the coursework and dividing up into doable portions for the semester. And um, the continuous, lovely, hot summer weather didn't help going back to school. It would be so much better if the sun said, OK, Ray, that's it. School's back. Let's not shine so fiercely. But it didn't. So we'd go outside and preferably do school in the pool. And then when college started full time in our house, that was just another excuse. 
to wait a little bit longer to start school so that by the time we really did go back, like at the end, close to the end of September, I suppose, everybody was good and ready to return. And I've been including news of our sailing dorts in my blog in a category called Dorts Thoughts. And it's really a mildly edited version of her daily updates from the ship, just spelling really more than anything else. Whenever I get one, I sit and read it regardless of what I'm in the middle of. And some of her expressions and stories make me laugh out loud. It's so good to see her ideas, opinions and thoughts in words. We talk to her whenever we can or whenever she can get internet. Sometimes it's really good from such unlikely places as McDonald's in St. Petersburg. We've had some lovely long conversations about dancing, rehearsals. Uh, She has to learn 27 numbers. She's compared personalities to those that she's met at the Covent Garden Starbucks. She's getting used to hearing foreign languages wherever she goes. She's involved in training classes and tells frustrating stories about the purser and all the paperwork she had to complete in Spanish. But being self-motivated has really helped her. And she says the rehearsals and dancing are a comfort because they've always been part of her life. Grease paint, lights and music. And she's right at home again, even in the middle of the sea. And I've rattled on quite enough for another week. It's time for me to go on a walk, have a Guinness eat dinner. So I'll let you get on with your day. We're going to see a play this weekend, so I'm sure you'll hear about it soon. I'll be back same time, same place next week, Friday, 12 noon, Texas, 6 p.m. if you're in London. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, my four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest this week, Nancy Sathry-Vogel, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne, Tina, Nancy, Millicent, Esme, Carol, Elizabeth, Maggie, Sarah and Jane and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned to Tokenet all day and catch a lot of good shows to inspire you. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Enjoy your children and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 to 26. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNair.